As you all know, sharpfootballanalysis.com is the best place for fantasy analysis and betting information. And this week, we're running a huge promo on the site. The total points scored in the Thursday night game between Jacksonville and Cincinnati will represent the percentage off any product on the site on Friday, October 1st. Visit sharpfootballanalysis.com on Friday and check out the blue banner at the top of the page, which will have the discount code. Last year, that got up to 65 points, so that was 65% off. We'll see what it is this year. Remember, Friday, sharpfootballanalysis.com, blue banner at the top of the page, which will have the discount code. Welcome to the Sharp Angles Betting Podcast. I'm Ryan McChrystal here with Mark DeRosa. We're here to talk you through week four of the NFL season. And I think it's going to be a really good week. Uh, we got a lot of interesting uh, division rivalry games, some, certainly some big games with some storylines that are interesting that we'll talk about. But let's start things off by looking back on week three a little bit. Mark, how did you do last week? Got any like good takeaways from last week's action? Yeah, I thought it was a really interesting week. Um some uh, nice performances from a few teams. Uh, I, like you said, the slate this week looks really excellent. You know, we've got a lot of very competitive looking games, uh, a lot of games where we're going to find out, you know, who's who. Um, but as far as last week goes, uh, a couple of games kind of stood out to me, you know, that Chargers and Chiefs game that everybody's been talking about with the Chiefs starting one and two. Um, you know, I've been saying it all year. I've been saying it before the year. I think that Kansas City is one of the most overrated teams in the league I think that um, you know teams have figured out how to beat this uh, Chiefs team by you know maximizing your own possessions and you you can't make any turnovers and you got to keep the ball out of Mahomes' hands Um, you know the Chargers win really wasn't nearly as impressive as it looks on paper um, or as you watch the game you know on paper they got two interceptions and had two fumble recoveries Uh, they also recovered their own fumble as well so you know, to uh, be plus three in the turnover department, you know, you're going to win games that way. So, um, you know, not surprised that the Chargers won, given that they had three, three takeaways. Um, But at the same time, the Chiefs defense, I mean, they look terrible. They look really terrible. They can't stop anybody. And, uh, you know, it's looking like their, their path to a Super Bowl is most likely going to be as a wild card team. Um, I think it's pretty fascinating what's going on in the AFC West right now where you've got pretty much every team that's in the division is in contention to win the division. Um, so, uh, you know, you can't really sleep on any of, any of those teams. And the two teams that we thought were going to be um, the best in that division with the the Chiefs and the Chargers are actually maybe not the best. So, um, you know, the other, the other funny thing is, is I remember listening to a few podcasts before the season and guys were talking about, you know, MVP bets and, I heard several different people advise, you know, betting Mahomes at six to one to win MVP because, you know, it can, he can only get lower as the season goes on was the logic behind it was that, you know, as Kansas city would dominate throughout the season, you know, he'd be down to, you know, four to one and three to one and, you know, even money or whatever. And, you know, here we are today, they're one and two and uh, you know, he's plus eight fifty. So yeah. So I'm yeah. curious, you've mentioned uh, in the past couple of weeks, you've been fading the Chiefs a little bit. Um, in past weeks, now that they're one and two, and they've sort of shown, shown some weaknesses, how do you approach them moving forward? Do you feel like the value in fading them is gone because people have sort of seen some weakness now? I don't think so. I, th- I think it's still there. <laughs> I think it's going to take a while to disappear just because, 
you know, they are the Chiefs, they are Mahomes. And, you know, I think eventually they're going to write the ship to a certain degree um, and probably shore up some of these weaknesses, um, maybe adjust their game plans a little bit offensively to kind of, you know, help their defense out a little bit. You know, that's the great thing about, you know, as the season goes on, you know, teams are not, by, by the time we get around to week 17, week 18 this year, the teams that we look back on, you know, week three are, are not, they're not the same teams. They always evolve. So. Yeah. So for me, looking back at week three, one other team that I want to throw out there to talk about is the Steelers. It's been a couple of weeks since we've mentioned them. And I thought it was worth bringing them up again. Uh, we, I think the last time we talked about them was after their week one performance, even though they won that game, it certainly looked like a good win beating Buffalo. Uh, it was yeah. sort of a negative reaction that we both had to that game based on the fact that they abandoned the run late when they really should have been, they were up uh, 10 points late in the game and they really went with a pass heavy offense when they should have been running out the clock. And that really jumped out as a red flag. And I think that now after saying a couple more games, we can say like, yeah, we, we were right to be concerned about that, even in a victory. And just looking at last week's game, 58 pass attempts against the Bengals. Uh, that was obviously driven up a little bit by them trailing by multiple scores in the fourth quarter, but Roethlisberger still had 21 attempts in the first half and only 92 yards on that, which is just embarrassing. And I think it's also noteworthy. I mean, some of the lack of production in the past game is certainly due to no Deontay Johnson. Judy Smith-Schuster got injured during the game, but the fact that they were still passing in such a high volume despite missing those guys after an off season of talking about wanting to improve the running game, drafting a running back in the first round, obviously, like they definitely wanted to enter this year and be a, more of a run heavy team. And I mean, pretty much right out of the gate, they've scrapped those plans and have realized, yeah, n- nothing we did in the off season worked. We can't run the ball to save our life. It, it's just all on Roethlisberger's shoulders. And, you know, that's looked pretty ugly so far. I feel like they're like, they're intentionally sabotaging this season so that, Roethlisberger can finally admit to himself that it's time to, to hang it up. Uh, you know, they're, they're pretty much putting the whole team on his shoulders and he can't handle it. I mean, he's just, he's just not that good anymore, you know, and father time's caught up to him. And uh, yeah, I mean, that defense is great. Um, but, you know, that defense has, has kept that team afloat for the last two seasons and, you know, they're not always going to get the takeaways to keep them in games. So and we're seeing what happens when they get a couple injuries on that defense too. Yeah. That's definitely been part of their setback. Anything else from week three that you want to talk about? Yeah. So we could talk a little bit about the Buccaneers, um, you know, lost to the Rams 34, 24 game. Wasn't really that close. Um, you know, this was a side that I kind of advised last week. I like the Rams. Um, so I wasn't surprised by the results at all. Uh, one of my concerns for Tampa was, uh, you know, I talked about having pressure up the middle with uh, Aaron Donald and how the Giants discovered in their Super Bowls that that was the key to beating Brady. And, you know, Brady doesn't get sacked a lot normally. And the Rams got to him three times. Uh, Aaron Donald got him once. Um, you know, the Rams played pretty much a perfect game. And you could tell by the intensity on the sideline that they were really up for this game. Uh, Tampa, meanwhile, you know, they can't run the football at all. Um and they have some serious secondary issues right now. Uh, you know, they signed Richard Sherman yesterday. Um, but again, you know, they have a lot of talent. They'll fix it. They'll, you know, get it together. But, um, you know, we might see a rematch of these teams in, come January. Yeah, that definitely seems possible. And I, I definitely feel like, you know, we've seen some weaknesses in Tampa, but based on how their season went last year, I, I almost feel like I have to give them the benefit of the doubt looking long range because, 
they certainly didn't look like a Super Bowl favorite at this time last year either. And, yeah. you know, you know, Brady is obviously a big part of that, helping the team make adjustments on offense. You know, I, I just sort of have to give them the benefit of the doubt that some of the stuff that isn't working for them right now, they'll, you know, as long as they stay healthy, they should be able to figure some of that out because they did a great job of that, certainly peaking at the right time last year. Yeah. So yeah. let's move on now, talk about week four. Obviously, we've got a bunch of good games this week. Um, let's start out with a game that's probably a little bit less interesting. Uh, but there's been some line movement in the Houston Buffalo game. So let's start there. Do you have a side on that that you're leaning? Sure. Yeah. You know, usually we talk about or attempt to talk about line moves in the NFL. And uh, this week there really was a lack of line moves to this point. You know, nothing too crazy. Um, this game opened, you know, Houston plus 17. Uh, it's down to 16, 16 and a half everywhere. Um, I've said it in our prior podcast, I think that, you know, double digit underdogs early, early in the season are money. Um, We're not exactly super early in the season anymore. And I think everybody's kind of getting the lay of the land of, you know, how good these teams are. I think you're getting a, a a really good deal on Houston in this game. Um, You know, they have that rookie quarterback uh, Mills that they put in on a short week last week against Carolina. He looked pretty limited. Um, but I think, you know, you would kind of expect that coming on, on a short week. Uh, you know, now they're getting the mini buy to prepare for uh, this Buffalo team that's looked vulnerable, vulnerable at times. Um, so I would not be surprised to see Houston continue to be very competitive. You know, even though they didn't cover the spread in that Carolina game, uh, you know, they were really in it until the fourth quarter. Um, so I, I, I didn't really think that Carolina dominated that game by any means. I mean, they played a good game, but, um, you know, Houston, Houston's a scrappy team. They're a veteran team. We talk about them every week. Um, and, uh, you know, I think meanwhile, you have, uh, Buffalo coming off this emotional win, uh, for their team, given that the, the offensive coordinator's, uh, grandmother, who I guess was you know, more of a mother figure to him, um, you know, had passed away, uh, and I, 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 apparently the whole team knew about it and, uh, you know, they kind of dedicated their effort uh, last week uh, to her memory. So, you know, emotionally, this could be a very big letdown spot for Buffalo. Um, you know, I'm going to be taking, you know, I already have, but, you know, I'm taking Houston plus 17 this week for sure. Yeah, I can certainly see the logic in that. You know, last week heading into the Thursday night game, we talked about how we really didn't have any faith in Houston being the coaching staff having to get a rookie ready on a short week. Well, you know, the flip side of that is after that short week, now they have extra time and, you know, we don't have a ton of faith in the Houston coaching staff, but it's certainly an advantage. They have a little bit extra time. The rookie now had, you know, Davis Mills, he had one game under his belt. It wasn't good, but he's got extra time to review the tape, make some changes. I certainly expect him to play better. You know, probably not enough to win, but yeah, I could see them keeping the game closer than expected. Yeah. Uh, so let's move now. Talk about uh, Panthers at the Cowboys. Cowboys are giving four and a half in this game, and I kind of like the Panthers money line on this. I think there's some value there because I think they can definitely pull off an upset here. And we talked about the Panthers a little bit last week because they were playing that Thursday night game and. You know, one of the reasons why I liked them to give Houston so much trouble last week was the defense. I said, you know, I'm I'm all in on them. I still am after that performance. You know, they haven't played the toughest schedule, but the defensive numbers that they're putting up, it doesn't really matter who you're playing. These are still NFL teams. And for you to dominate in the way that they have, especially with their pass rush, 
you know, you're a strong defense. I'll just to go over some numbers here to underscore just how dominant their pass rush has been. These are numbers from Sports Info Solutions, the pressure rate leaders in the NFL. And in third, you've got the Browns at 45%. Then a big leap to the Bills in second at 55%. And the Panthers are getting pressure at 65% rate. So they're 10 percentage points above second place, 20 percentage points above third place. The fact that they've played a weaker schedule doesn't really matter to me. I mean, they've well established themselves as an elite pass rush unit. And, you know, I think they can give Dak Prescott some trouble in this game. You know, Dak can handle pressures. He's certainly not uh, one of, I mean, I certainly wouldn't say he's bad against pressure, but you can, when you consistently pressure any quarterback in the league, it's going to make a difference. You know, and Dak does have a tendency to take some sacks this season. He's had an 18% sack rate on dropbacks under pressure. It's only averaging 6.2 yards per attempt when he's pressured. So, you know, I think they're going to be able to pressure him and to pull an upset in a game like that, like this, that should be fairly close. I really only, you know, it just takes one bad mistake. They get pressure, force a fumble, interception, something like that. They can swing momentum pretty quickly. And then on the flip side, I think the Cowboys defense going up against Sam Darnold, you know, Darnold hasn't looked great, but he has looked a little bit better than he looked in New York. And I think this is a good matchup for him because one of Darnold's issues has been handling the blitz. And so far in Carolina, when teams don't blitz him, he's actually been great. His numbers against the blitz, he's averaging 4.0 adjusted net yards per attempt. That counts in, you know, passing yards, but also sacks and turnovers. And you know, so he is bad against the blitz. He was bad against the blitz in New York. He's still bad against the blitz. But so far when teams don't blitz him, he's averaging 8.8 adjusted net yards per attempt in Carolina. That's third in the league behind Stafford and Russell Wilson, just one spot ahead of Patrick Mahomes. So he's up there in a pretty elite category right now. Now, as I mentioned, their, their strength of schedule isn't great. So I expect those numbers to drop somewhat. But the fact that he's doing well shows a big improvement because you know, when he was in New York, it didn't matter who he was playing. You know, he was struggling against the blitz against everybody, or he was a struggling blitz or no blitz against everybody. So he's definitely shown some improvement there. And Cowboys blitz at the seventh lowest rate, only 17% of the time. So I think he's going to have some time to sit in the pocket and make some throws and have a, you know, he should be able to have a decent game. I think as long as he protects the ball and as long as uh, the Carolina continues to get pressure on Dak Prescott, I think they've got a decent chance to the upset. So, you know, I think there's some value on the Panthers money line. What's, what's your stance on this game? So this game's a no bet for me. Um, I have opposing thoughts on both teams. You know, I, I really, um, I can see the value. I can see the merit in backing either one of these teams, but, you know, I think the Panthers have got the better coaching staff. Um, they're coming off the mini buy. They've had a little bit more time to prepare. At the same time, you know, McCaffrey's out for a couple of weeks. And I don't think that he's as valuable as people think he is. I mean, he's 10 times more valuable in fantasy football than he is in real real football. But, um, you know, no J.C. Horn. And, and, you know, the thing about, you know, having shut down corners is that that allows you to blitz. And that's when, maybe one of the reasons why Carolina has been able to blitz so well is because their secondary uh, has been performing so well. Um, you know, on a talent level, Dallas is far superior I think um but I think McCarthy as a coach is just a complete donkey and um you know you look at for a guy who supposedly spent an entire year when he got when he got fired in Green Bay you know sitting in a barn watching uh 
you know, learning about analytics uh, from people that he hired, you know, for an entire year. And then to sit there at the end of the first half this week and, uh, you know, not try to score again was just kind of blew me away. But uh, yeah, I mean, I just, I feel like um, Dallas has the potential to be a Super Bowl contender and Carolina does not. So, um, but, you know, like I said, you know, Dallas does not have a very good coach and the Panthers do. So, um, you know, I really don't have much of an opinion for this game. Yeah, McCarthy is certainly a detriment to Dallas in most games, especially when he's going up against what seems to be a pretty solid coaching staff on the other side. Yeah. So let's move now and talk about, let's go to the, both of the NFC West games, two great showdowns in that division this week. We'll start out with Seahawks 49ers. Uh, Seahawks going to San Francisco, 49ers giving three points in this game. That I'm a, I was a little bit surprised to see that spread. I would have thought that this would be under a field goal. I think this is, you know, pretty close to a toss-up game. So, you know, based on that, I'm kind of leaning Seahawks, but I don't, I don't have a strong opinion on this. What, what's your take on this one? Yeah, I feel kind of the same way. I think maybe it's a little bit of an overreaction to them losing their last two games. Um, you know, they could have won that Tennessee game two games ago um, just as easily as they lost it. Um, and they could be two and one, and then you'd be looking at a pick them spread. Um, you know, I feel like uh, for Seattle, the season's really starting to slip away. If they, you know, they lose this game, they're one and three in the NFC West, and that's pretty much a death sentence because uh, especially, you know, that would make San Francisco three and one and, and, you know, somebody else is going to be three and one and, uh, or potentially even four and oh, uh, well, somebody will be four and oh, uh, so, you know, Seattle really cannot afford to lose this game. Um, this is the season for them. Um, you know, San Francisco, I didn't think they looked very good on Sunday night at all. Um, you know, they got behind pretty quickly in that game. Green Bay let them get back into it. Uh, you know, I don't think Garoppolo's looked very good. I think that the pressure is going to be on for Trey Lance to, you know, eventually get in and take over as a starter. Uh, their secondary looks terrible. Uh, they're all banged up, you know, signing guys off the street. Um, now they got to play Seattle. And if Pete Carroll can get out of his own way and let Russ cook, um, I think he will. So, yeah. Yeah, I definitely agree with all that logic. There's definitely a lean for me. Not, I'm not certain I'm going to place a bet on that. But there is one bet that I do like on this, or at least I think so. I haven't seen a line on it yet, but it's the player props category here we're getting into now. With DK Metcalf, I, I think I like the over on his receiving yards. And it's been pretty consistently right around 75 yards every week, so I would expect that line to be the same. If it's in that range, you know, 74, 75, 76, something like that, I'm going to be betting the over on that. And it has a lot to do with the struggling and banged up San Francisco secondary that you already mentioned. You know, they already lost Jason Verrett for the season. Josh Norman was knocked out last week. As of Wednesday, he hadn't been practicing yet. So monitor that situation. I guess it's sounds like it's within the realm of possibility that he returns, but he certainly is. He was coughing up blood. <laughs> yeah, I, they, they have not ruled him out, but I'm certainly leaning towards expecting him to not be there. And in their absence, the guy that's seen a lot more action has been uh, rookie cornerback Diamadora Lenore. And, you know, target, when, when you can target a rookie cornerback going up against a stud receiver like DK Metcalf, that's certainly uh, you should certainly expect increased volume in that situation because smart teams are going to pick on that. Smart quarterbacks are going to find the rookie and pick on him. 
And I specifically like it because teams seem to be challenging San Francisco downfield a lot this season. That's why I'm leaning towards doing the Metcalf over rather than the Lockett. Although, you know, you can use a lot of the same logic to bet Lockett also. Um, But Metcalf sees more downfield targets than Lockett does in this offense. Teams are throwing 10 or more yards downfield against San Francisco at the eighth highest rate. And that's despite the fact that they played Jared Goff in week one, who we know doesn't throw downfield very often, but then they followed that up by facing Jalen Hurts and Aaron Rodgers. Um, and in those games against San Francisco, they had two of the five highest average depths of throws of any quarterback this season. So, you know, that, that's a small sample size that we're going off of, but it definitely looks like teams are challenging San Francisco downfield. And based on the banged up secondary, you know, we can definitely understand why. So I don't think that's a coincidence. I think that, you know, these teams have definitely identified that as something that they can take advantage of. And, you know, just to throw out another stat there on Diamondor Lenore, found this one really interesting. He's been in coverage for 29% of the intended air yards for San Francisco. That's the fifth highest rate of any quarterback in the league. So it, it seems like not only are teams, you know, trying to take advantage of this banged up secondary, but they're specifically finding him and, and challenging him downfield. So, you know, I think anytime they think they've got DK Metcalf matched up one-on-one with him, I think that Russell Wilson's going to look that way. And we know Russell Wilson's smart. He's, he can make adjustments at the line of scrimmage. If he sees that, you know, I, I would expect to see multiple throws downfield to Metcalf whenever he's in that matchup. And, you know, to, to a lesser extent, you know, you, I think you could consider Lockett too, because obviously he is capable of winning down the field, taking advantage of his opportunities lined up against Lenore. So, you know, that's the bet that I'm definitely going to place. As long as it lands in that range, obviously, like I said, I haven't seen that line posted, but, Somewhere in that 75-yard range, I'm betting the over on DK Metcalf. So let's move now to the next uh, NFC West showdown. We've got Cardinals at Rams. Rams getting five points in this game. Uh, where do you land? Are you on one side or the other here? You know, gun to my head, I would take the Cardinals. Um, I don't have a very big opinion on this game. Um, I do just kind of feel like, you know, the Rams have the, the Rams have peaked, put it that way. Um, that's my feeling about the Rams. This is, they're playing the best that they're going to play all year and it can only get worse from here. Um, it feels like a little bit of a letdown spot for them, you know, coming off that big Tampa game last week. Um, you know, the Rams are a really interesting team because the way that they're built, you know, their, their depth is non-existent, but their starters are all superstars. So, um, so yeah, I mean, things can't continue to go as well as they've gone for the Rams. They've just been playing fantastic. And, uh, you know, I feel like there's a, a big uh, letdown possibly coming. So, Yeah, I think if you had asked me two weeks ago to talk about this game, I probably would have said something very similar to you. I'm a little bit hesitant to trust Arizona anymore, and I've actually put a place down – I put a bet down on the Rams already against the spread, thinking that maybe this line actually goes up a little bit closer due to the possible injuries – for Arizona. So I'm kind of banking on that. It's the offensive line that's really struggled for Arizona. They had, let me, let me read this off. because it has been a lot of, a lot of changes. So last week, Justin Murray and Justin Pugh, both of their starting guards were injured. Uh, and it's especially concerning because Murray was starting at right guard last week in place of Josh Jones, who had, had previously been their starting at right guard. Jones shifted to right tackle to replace Kelvin Beecham, who had been their starting right tackle, but he's injured. Max Garcia, who entered the year as a third string lineman, he was the one that had been takeover for Justin Murray. 
at right guard. So they're playing musical chairs on the offensive line. Now we're, we're recording this on Thursday as of Wednesday's practice is the last update that we've seen. None of those injured offensive linemen had practiced yet as of Wednesday. So monitor the situation. Again, it sounds like they're hoping that they get some guys back. If they come back with a fully healthy offensive line, you know, maybe I reverse course and, you know, try to cancel out my bet and throw a bet down on the Cardinals just to, to cancel out that line. Cause I'm really banking on this being a potential mess for them. If they're out there with a third string offensive lineman, multiple backups that can get really ugly, especially against a, a solid defensive line like the Rams have. So that's, that's where I'm leaning right now, based on the expectation that they just don't have the offensive line to compete in this game. Um, and then using that same logic, there's also a couple of player props that I like in this game. Again, it's, it's all based on the assumption that Carolina has a mess or a, I'm sorry, that Arizona has a mess of an offensive line in this matchup. But if that's the case, I think, you know, the James Conner, his rushing yards is set to 33 and a half. I think going under that is a bet that I really like based on the assumption that the line can't block for him and they just have to abandon the run game early. His rushing attempts is at nine and a half. I think you could bet under that. And I think you could, using the exact same logic, bet the over on Kyler Murray's pass attempts at 37 and a half. If they have to abandon the run game early, it probably means that they're playing from behind. They have to play a little bit faster. I think Murray could easily shoot over that. And I think of that group, the one that I like the most is Connor's under on his rushing yards. Just because he's not the type of runner that's going to break off a long run, it's really unlikely that he's going to get free and have a 20-yard run and then you know, you could, you're not going to lose the bet with him if he gets seven or eight carries because you're just not in danger of that long run, you know, hurting you. Whereas, you know, with Chase Edmonds, you know, he, he is more of that type of runner where you might have to worry about something like that. The, the rush attempts one, it, that, that one's a little more difficult just because we never know what, you know, how they're going to break it down. I want, if you add up the rush attempt lines for Connor and Chase Edmonds, it add up to 17. If we assume that the Cardinals are trailing for a lot of this game and playing behind a bad offensive line, that's a really high number. Uh, and the, the only close game that they've played so far against Minnesota, those two guys split carries. They had eight apiece. So they went under that combined total in that game of that 17. So, you know, I, I think you could lean that direction, betting the under on, on his attempts as well, but just because, you know, he, I think he could go over the attempts and still under the yardage playing behind the bad offensive line as the yardage total is the one that I like the best there. So let's move now to some of the big uh, primetime games of the week. Not necessarily the best game on Sunday night, but certainly the biggest storyline of the week is uh, Tom Brady back to Foxborough. Bucks, depending on where you look, they're around a seven-point favorite heading to New England. Uh, my initial reaction to this is I'm kind of leaning bucks against the spread. If you can get it at under seven, obviously that seven is a key number, but uh, as of this morning, I did see it, that it was uh, at six and a half at some places. So that I do kind of like that number. And one of the reasons I like it is uh, table blitzes a lot. They blitz at the second highest rate in the league, 37% of the time. Uh, New England has a rookie quarterback. You blitz any rookie quarterback, he's going to make mistakes. And Jones has struggled. He's averaging 2.5 adjusted net yards per attempt against the blitz. Uh, you know, he's, he's struggled there. And it's not surprising. You know, any rookie quarterback 
is going to have issues. Um, so I think that that could potentially be an, an area where they can force him into some mistakes early in the game, just, you know, bringing a lot of pressure on him. And then I think, you know, you talked about it at the beginning when you were talking about the Bucks and teams possibly being able to take advantage of their secondary. I'm not sure Max Jones is, Mac Jones is capable of that yet. He's only completing 37% of his passes when he throws 10 or more yards downfield. So, you know, it, that's definitely a combination of Mac Jones and a mediocre receiving core. I, I don't know that he can take advantage of that in the way that some other teams can against the Bucks. So, you know, those are two reasons, reasons why I'm kind of leaning Bucks against the spread, especially if you can get at that six and a half number. Where, where do you stand on this? Are you with me on that? Or do you think New England can uh, take it to Tom Brady? So this game has caused my brain to not work. It's like, um, you know, you look at the screen and New England is a seven point home underdog to Tampa. And, you know, I've been doing this for like 15 years, maybe 17 years, something like that. And throughout that time, New England's always been great. Tampa's always been terrible. And, you know, I feel like my brain thinks that like the odds makers have made a mistake and they've like flip-flopped the game and that it should be New England minus seven, you know? Uh, so I've had a really hard time uh, comprehending this. You know, I don't, I don't think, I think it's been probably 25 years since New England's been a seven point home underdog to anybody. Um, so yeah, I don't, I don't care what anybody says, you know, Brady's had this game circled on his calendar since the schedule came out. It's absolutely personal um, for him. And, uh, you know, it's absolutely personal for Belichick too. Um, these guys have got tremendous egos, both of them. And I think we're going to see a great game. Um, you know, you've got Belichick as a defensive mastermind, but he does not have a great defense. Um, you know, there's, there's no Gilmore. Um, you know, they looked great against Zach Wilson and the jets, but that's Zach Wilson and the jets. Um, you know, what's, what's he working with? He doesn't have much to work with. Um, at the same time, you know, Belichick's known for taking away one guy and then making you beat, making you beat him in a way that's not comfortable for you. But Tampa, I mean, they've got Gronk, they've got Evans, they've got Godwin. I would assume that Antonio Brown will probably be back for this game. Um, they just have so many weapons. Um, you know, meanwhile on offense, New England looks so limited with Mac Jones, at quarterback, um, you know, Tampa Bay is really stout against the run, which is, which is what New England's strength is. Um, you know, Tampa's really weak in the secondary right now, um, but New England can't really take advantage of that either because of Mac Jones. Um, everything about this game tells me that Tampa's going to win it. Um, and the betting public agrees. You know, everybody and their grandmother are betting on Tampa right now. Um, but the line stayed in place, and, you know, it's um, – it's one of those rare situations where it really makes me pause. And, uh, you know, the reality is you don't know everything. Um, you may think you know everything, but you don't. And, um, and me as well, I'm not just saying specifically you, I'm just speaking generally. Um, so, you know, I, this is one of those ones where I'm probably going to hold my nose and take New England plus seven and a half if it gets there. Um, I think it's kind of like an autoplay. I think you might see something that you didn't anticipate, like maybe Belichick uh, kicks off, kicks on sides or something to start the second half or, you know, pulls out the fake punts. He's going to have to pull out all the stops to win this game, but I think he will. So, um, 
you know, I think that there's some unknowns out there that we're not aware of. And I think that New England's probably the right side in this game, even though I have to hold my nose to take it. Yeah, it's definitely fascinating. I completely agree with everything you said about their egos in this game being extremely important to them, regardless of what they say. The other added aspect to that, though, that I've been thinking about, especially as you, as you were talking about, like, does Belichick have some tricks up his sleeve in this game? Because they both want to downplay how important it is, even though nobody believes them, I wonder if Belichick, would he would he do something like that? Because then if he, you know, start an onside kick or something like that, an unexpected rate, doesn't that kind of automatically signal like this means something more? You know, Belichick's not doing an onside kick in some normal uh, September game, <laughs> September, early October game. So I, I wonder, I mean, I certainly understand why he would do that, but then like I can see the flip side too about why he would try to <laughs> avoid it. So yeah, there's a lot of, there's, there could be some mind games back and forth. There could be some mind games that they're playing on themselves as well as, as they try to convince people it's well, not important. Belichick's a really intelligent guy. Everybody knows that, you know, they have not really been put in a position throughout his coaching career in new England to have to go to the bag of tricks. You know, yeah. um, they've always had the superior team, the superior quarterback. Um, they've never been put in a position, an obvious position where, you know, everybody knows that they're unlikely to win the game, you know? So like, this is like the first time that I can think of that. Everybody's like, listen, the Patriots are probably going to lose this game, you know? Um, so I don't necessarily think that it would mean, you know, him that the game has more meaning, you know, if he's, if he's doing that, I think it's, it might be just a matter of game theory. So, you know, I don't know something about this game just kind of throws me off. So. Yeah, it's, a, it's definitely one that we should all tune into. I think it's going to be a fun game. Uh, and hope, hopefully it stays pretty close because it, it would be fun to see Belichick and Brady going head-to-head in a tight game in the fourth quarter for that one. So let's move on now and talk about the other uh, primetime game, Monday night game. Uh, we probably didn't have this circled on our schedules at the beginning of the season, but suddenly Raiders at Chargers looks really interesting. Chargers uh, given three and a half. Mark, where do you stand on this one? Yeah, you know, I'm on the Raiders uh, again. Um, you know, I felt like the Chargers have been overrated all year. Uh, I felt like the Raiders have been underrated all year. Um, you know, the Chargers beating the Chiefs doesn't really change anything for me, especially the way that they beat them. Um, you know, I haven't really been high on the Chiefs this year. So, um, you know, they beat them. They were the beneficiaries of four turnovers. Um Anytime that you have the turnover margin like that, you're supposed to win. Um, you know, I kind of feel like maybe last week was their Super Bowl. Um, they've got to follow that up with a tough game against a divisional opponent in prime time. Um, you know, I feel like uh, David Carr is David Carr. Derek Carr is uh, playing like an MVP this year. Um, they're passing at one of the highest rates in football, um, which is what you want to do. You want to be aggressive. Passing is more efficient than running. Um, their running game, the Raiders running game has been terrible. Um, but that's the one thing that you don't have to be successful at um, when it comes to playing football is you don't really necessarily have to have a great rushing offense. So um, that's okay. Uh, meanwhile, you know, Ruggs and Edwards have continued to round into form. Um, the offense is just scary, scary good. Um, and I feel like they haven't even hit their stride yet. Um, at the same time, you know, the Raiders finally have a defense. Um, but 
you know, I just feel like the 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 three points. I think this game should be closer to a pick 'em. Um, I'm just not a fan of the Chargers. Uh, you know, this is a still a new coach coming off of uh, you know his first really big test and um, you know first first primetime game. So um, I feel like the Raiders have kind of weathered the storm these last few weeks, and uh, you know now they can kind of gather themselves and get ready get up for this game. So uh, yeah, I'm, I'm going to be betting the Raiders. Yeah, I'm not on either side of this game. I think you make a really compelling point pointing out how the Chargers won last week. The fact that they beat the Chiefs is certainly factoring into the line in this game just because that's such a high-profile victory. And, you know, you're certainly right. Winning with turnovers is not something that you can count on week to week. And the fact that there was probably a little bit of luck, a little bit of luck involved in that num- in the turnover number as well, them recovering one of their own fumbles at one point, like, there's luck involved in turnovers every week. That's why it's so hard to repeat that success on a weekly basis. So, you know, we should have reserve some skepticism as far as saying that there, that that was a great win against the chiefs. Like we talked about earlier in the show. So yeah, you, you make a good case why we should maybe uh, not value the chargers quite as much as they seem to be based on what this line is. Uh, so let's talk now, talk a little bit of Thursday night football. we like to wrap up the show with Thursday night football, obviously, uh, since we're recording on a Thursday, those of you listening today can you know check out some of the bets that we like for this week. And if you're listening over the weekend, you can always skip this part or you can let, keep listening and see how we did. Uh, I'm starting to feel a little pressure, Mark, because uh, there, there was one long shot bet in the Thursday game I gave out last week. I said, I said that we should take the Houston to not score a touchdown. Obviously, we lost that, uh, but th- that was close. It, it only came – they only got that one uh, – two-minute drill touchdown at the end of the first half. Uh, we nearly hit that one. But if you throw that one out, the other ones that I've given out, I've given out four Thursday night prop bets, and we're, uh, I'm 4-0. So I'm feeling a little pressure now to follow that up and keep that winning streak live for people. So I'll, th- I'll throw out another one, although I have to say this line has moved significantly just within the last 12 hours. So I've definitely lost some confidence in it at the number that it's currently at. And it's the over on Jamar Chase's receiving yards. Obviously, I should mention we've got the Bengals at the Jaguars uh, in this Thursday night game. Another uh, pretty ugly Thursday night game on paper. I like Jamar Chase going over because Cincinnati is going to be able to pick on Jaguars secondary. I mean, they're just it's – a, it's a weak group. And with C.J. Henderson being traded, we already saw last week they started to incorporate rookie Tyson Campbell uh, into the defense a little bit more, and you know he, he's had a rough adjustment. So I think that Cincinnati is going to try to pick on him. You know, we talked earlier about Diamondor Lenore in San Francisco being a rookie that defenses can take advantage of, and it's the same thing with Tyson Campbell in the Jaguars secondary. He's allowing a 67% completion rate in coverage so far this year, 10.2 yards per target. Based on how Jamar Chase is playing, I think that's going to be a mismatch. And, you know, he could get beat a couple times. And, you know, this line, this line opened at 64 and a half. And so at that number, you know, it's just three or four big plays. and He's easily flying past that number. And Chase, obviously, they've been targeting him downfield a lot. As, as for Campbell, another thing I wanted to just throw out there is the fact that he's struggling. It's a really small sample size, but – he wasn't good at Georgia last year. This was a traits-based draft pick by the Jaguars taking him in the second round. You know, he's long and athletic. They obviously really like what they think they can turn him into over the next couple of years, but he actually allowed an 
he allowed an 85% catch rate in coverage last season, which was higher than his expected catch rate allowed of 78%. That's data from Sports Info Solutions. We don't see that from early round cornerbacks. Like if, if you're getting drafted in the first or second round, it's because you were locking guys down at the college level. And Campbell wasn't doing that at Georgia. You know, he's very much a work in progress. And now they're throwing him to the wolves really early in this season. And I think Cincinnati is smart enough. You know, Burrow played against him in college. Burrow's probably well aware of the issues that he's had. He's going to see Chase matched up with him and probably take a few shots downfield. Now, I mentioned this line has moved. I liked it a lot at 64 and a half. It's all the way up to 71 and a half in some places now. I'm not going to bet it at 71 and a half. If that's the only number you can get, maybe you stay away or maybe you consider, I know some places offer alternative lines where you could get like Jamar Chase, like 50 and over or 60 and over 70 and over at different lines. Maybe you look at those numbers. And if you want to maybe risk a little bit more to take a lower number, maybe you could, if you can find it at lower somewhere in 64, 65, 66 range, if it's if you can still find it available at that number, I like it a lot. Like I said, I was excited to get a 64 and a half, but apparently a lot of people were because the, the number really rose up a lot. So if you haven't gotten it already, maybe it's not a bet that you can take advantage of. But you, you know, something to keep in mind, you know, maybe if you're playing DFS tonight, you know, expect Chase to have a really good game against a, a rookie quarterback there. Mark, what do you got for us on this game? Yeah, uh one other thing that I wanted to add to your uh thought process there was uh you know there's no t higgins tonight and um burrow you know there was no t higgins last week either but uh burrow didn't really seem to have a lot of confidence thrown to um his replacements so you know it could funnel more targets towards uh your boy chase um as far as the game tonight um i don't know if cincinnati's really good enough to be laying seven and a half points to anybody um i'm looking to tease cincinnati down to minus one, minus one and a half. It's a great week for teasers. You've got uh, Atlanta, Detroit, Minnesota, Indianapolis, all as pretty good candidates, and possibly New Orleans, Seattle, and Baltimore if you can get it. Now, um, you know, I like to, uh, you know, get the cheap teaser prices and then come over the top with, uh, you know, maybe like a Jacksonville plus, like a rogue, like Jacksonville plus eight or eight and a half. And uh, hope hope I can hit the middle. Um, uh, other than that, you know, um, game script says that Cincinnati might be throwing the ball less. Um, Burrow hasn't really been throwing, hasn't really had a lot of pass attempts this year. Um, I'm on the under on his passing yards tonight. I think it's 264 and a half. Yeah, I think that definitely makes sense based on, you know, if you're assuming the game script is going to be Bengals controlling this game, they've made it clear that, you know, even though they have a lot of faith in Burrow, they want this to be a run-heavy offense. They want to lean on Joe Mixon. So if they get the opportunity to do that, they will. That's probably the downside, you know, the way that you could lose the Jamar Chase bet that I mentioned is if they're just running the ball early. But, you know, I still like it despite the fact that I think the Bengals could win easily and run the ball a lot just because of what I mentioned. Chase is their downfield weapon and they've got a very specific mismatch out there that they can take advantage of you know he could have you know four catches on six targets and still go over with a couple big plays so he doesn't need to have a huge uh, volume of targets to go over just with his role in the offense but yeah I completely agree this this Bengals team wants to run the ball as much as they can Uh, Joe Mixon is their workhorse and if they have an opportunity to they're going to lean heavily on him tonight certainly 
So that wraps things up for us today. Thank you all for joining us. We're having a lot of fun with this podcast. Uh, Be sure to check in with us again next Thursday. We'll give you all our best picks for uh, week five next week. Look back on this week a little bit. Uh, And as always, we'll give you some Thursday night picks. Hopefully I'm checking in with you with a five and O mark at this point next week on Thursday night. Catch you guys next week. Thank you.